Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. What a great day already. Our text this morning for the sermon is one of the most familiar in all of Scripture, but I hope this morning we'll hear it in some fresh way. Reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. Just then, a a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What what do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and all of your strength and all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, And took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, The the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. If you could ask Jesus one question, what would it be? That's great to ponder, right? How would, I mean, you wouldn't waste it on something like the dogs go to heaven or how many angels on the head of a pit. You'd want to get it just right. Just, just the most central, most vital heartbeat question you could come up with. So how would you distill all of it into one question? All of your anguish, your hope, your fear, your desire for purpose, your quest for inner peace. How would you ask it if you had one question for Jesus? Well, the lawyer in our story gets that chance. And he asks this. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, while we're imagining this, when you're imagining lawyer, 
Don't think Alston and Bird, Brooks Brothers suit, intellectual property litigation, not that kind of lawyer. This is a scribe, teacher, interpreter of the law of Moses. And he's got one question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I think he got the question just right. The word there for life, zoe, in the Greek it's translated life, but it's not, you know, heartbeat, pulse rate life. That, that's a different word. That's bios, biology. This word for life is all the stuff that makes life alive. The, this is the word for life that means eternal life and abundant life and full life and satisfying and flowing over the sides and peace-filled and purposeful life. It's that kind of life. And so he has asked a great question. It is all of our heartbeat questions rolled into one. How do I really, really live? I mean, you can look at 40 shelves of self-help books and seminars on being your best self. And, you know, all the women's magazine covers, they're all kind of veiled attempts at this same question. What must I do to really be alive, to inherit abundant, eternal, flowing over the sides kind of life? He got one question. I think he nailed it. This might be our best heartbeat question distilled. Well, the lawyer, I think, overheard Jesus in conversation and saw his chance to ask. Jesus was playing kind of central host to a reunion of sorts. If you go back a few chapters in Luke's gospel, you'll remember Jesus had appointed 70, sent them out ahead of him, no purse, no bags, no sandals. You remember that story. And just before this, they have all returned, and they're sitting around, and they're telling the adventures and their stories. I don't... The setting's not real clear, but in my imagination, the whole gang of 70 are probably eating and swapping stories and telling tales. And one of them says, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. And in the midst of their storytelling, Jesus blesses and says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. But then the lawyer in our story, who has likely overheard Jesus talking Reminiscing with the 70, approaches with this question to the great teacher. How do I inherit this kind of abundant life that I really, really want to live? And Jesus answers his question with a question. Teacher to teacher, what's written in the law? And the man combines two scriptures together. The first, the Shema, the most repeated scripture in all of Hebrew literature. It's told every day at the house. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and all of your strength and all of your mind. And then he tags on a verse from Leviticus, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you nailed it. That's it. You've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. All right, I'm going to throw in one more Greek word just for good measure. 
Jesus says, you are right. You are ortho right. Your answer is ortho. It's, it's right. It's orthodox. It's lined up. It's right. Orthodontist, get your teeth lined up. You're ortho right, but you're not righteous right. I mean, you're kind of multiple choice right, but, but not essay right. But lawyers can have the right answer and still have selfish hearts. I mean, you, you got the ortho right. You got the head answer, good for you. And the lawyer squares up at Jesus, tests Jesus to justify himself, perhaps to discredit Jesus, and says, well, who is my neighbor? Have you noticed this keeps coming up? (laughs) Have you noticed how many forms of this question is landing in the middle of our biblical stories? Last week, I'm preaching from Naaman. He was an outsider, a foreigner, one who was not part of the Jewish tribe. In recent weeks, I've been preaching from Galatians. That question, the big question, keeps popping up. Remember, uh, do you have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian? In other words, what are we supposed to do with all of these darned outsiders? It's a great question for today. It is a today question. And it keeps coming up. And every time it comes up in Jesus' presence, it seems to cause him trouble. Because his answers about outsiders are not very popular with insiders. You remember just a few chapters back in chapter 5, Jesus gets into all kind of hot water for eating and drinking with all the wrong people tax collectors and sinners and, you know, outsiders. So who is my neighbor, the lawyer wants to know. And Jesus tells one of the most famous parables ever. One that we've worn down with use, reduced to thinking a good Samaritan is the name of an auto club. Or Somebody who helps old women pick up their keys. Don't don't let the familiarity of this take the edge off. Jesus says, a Jew, one of us, one of the tribe, takes the dangerous road from Jerusalem to Jericho and he gets mugged. It happens a lot. It's a dangerous road. But this guy's beaten up pretty badly. He might have even been unconscious. So it happens that a priest is walking by, saw him, a priest, remember, one of us, a Jewish leader even, he did nothing. A little while later, a Levite, he walks by, remember, a Levite, he's one of us, he's a Jewish leader even, he did nothing. And then Jesus introduces the most unlikely, outrageous character into this story. A Samaritan of all people. This is an aside, but so this week I've been reading uh, commentaries and sermons and getting prepared for this. And every commentator, every preacher tries to, to... kind of modernize who the Samaritan would be, tries to capture 
who would be like the, the most outsider person I could think of? So I just took all of theirs and just mushed them together. So here's, here's their, their combined effort. He would be a transgendered, undocumented, Arab immigrant felon with AIDS who doesn't share my politics and hasn't bathed in a month. (laughs) And might pull for the Florida Gators. I threw that one in myself. (laughs) So it's like everything you can imagine to be outside. However you cut it, he ain't one of us. He is the hated anti-hero But in this story, he is unusually kind. But nowhere is he called good. I think this is interesting. The story of the Good Samaritan doesn't have the word good in it anywhere. But he's moved with pity. He's merciful. He's kind. He bandages. Takes the victim to an end to be cared for. Gives the innkeeper a few hundred bucks and says, if this doesn't take care of all of it, I'll be back in a couple of days. I'll pay whatever is due on the account. He agrees to pay whatever cost to provide for the care of the man who was robbed. So Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the lawyer can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. Can't even say it. The one who showed him mercy. That's as close as he could get. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do. He he emphasized the do part. Because this isn't about getting the right answers. So what if you got a hundred on your ortho quiz? So what if you got all the answers right? Go and do. Show pity. Be merciful. Be kind. I had lunch this week with a friend. Uh, He's a retired Atlanta executive after, after doing our business over lunch and all that we had to do. He ordered an espresso and he shoved back from the table, you know, one of those little bitty cups. And he says, Doc, we've been friends for a while. I think I can risk, I think I can risk this conversation without offending you. Please don't be offended by this, but... Can I ask you some questions about Jesus? <laughs> My friend's Jewish. And I'm, so, so, I'm always eager to talk about Jesus. Yeah, what do you got? He said, no offense, but I, I don't get it. Why, why do you pray to Jesus? Why do you... Pray to a man and not to God. And, and all this talk about being washed in the blood and the cross, and I, I, I don't get it. And I don't mean any offense. I just, I mean, I get that he was an important moral teacher. But worshiping a man instead of worshiping God, I, I don't get it. Can you give me a 150-word a handle on Jesus. 
So check, please. And so, like, I'm not, I'm not prepared for a 150-word answer on like, And, of course, I spent the whole afternoon thinking, you know, what I didn't say, what I left out, what I wish I'd said. But I had a chance and the challenge to give witness to what I believe about Jesus. And this is what I said. I said, God entered into covenant with the Jewish people, and God has never broken covenant. But I believe there are three eras to God's redemption project and not just two. There was the time before the covenant, before the covenant was given to Abraham, the law given to Moses. There was the time where God's project to redeem the world through love was being realized in the covenant with Israel. But I believe that in the person of Jesus, God has launched a new era in this love project And that what was so radical about Jesus was that his interpretation of what God was doing in the world was more difficult and more inclusive than anybody could imagine. Jesus declared that God does not just want the rules kept, but the heart changed. Jesus declared that God's desire to be in relationship with humankind was not limited to the covenant with Israel, but intended for everybody. Now, if we kept the spirit of the law perfectly, it would look like the life of Jesus. But Jesus got in trouble because he loved too much. He loved beyond the boundaries of the law, and he made harder demands of righteousness than the law required. Then I made a really embarrassing and too simple attempt at the Trinity that I don't want to go into because it was really bad. But... I'm doing God in three persons. We pray to Jesus as part of the Godhead. Steam, water, ice, one substance, all the same. All right. Then I did, I, I know I'm over my 150 words in the answer. I did a little mini essay on the atonement that was even worse. But then I said, you mentioned that you were going to read some in the New Testament, would you do me this favor? Will you read the stories of Jesus through the lens of Jesus being an expansion of God's project to reclaim the whole world through love? Through Jesus, I have been loved in a way I can't express. And Jesus is calling me every day to live in a more radically loving way. And at the core, I think that's what's going on here. The lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? Am I supposed to love my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor, would you at least tell me who it is and put some boundaries around that for me? And Jesus said, no, I won't because there are no boundaries on it. Time after time, the gospel story puts no limits on it, which is part of what makes the story so hard. I've been guilty of telling this story with the wrong ending. Some of you probably have too. I've been guilty of botching the punchline on this parable, of declaring that the punchline is, 
Who is my neighbor? Well, Samaritans are. Everybody, even Samaritans. But that's not how Jesus ends the parable. The Samaritan is not the object of our neighboring. The Samaritan is the one doing the neighboring. The parable doesn't end with a plea to reach down and help out even those dirty Samaritans. He's not in the ditch. He's the hero. The ending is even more radical than suggesting good Jews should be nice to even Samaritans. The hero who models the will of God is the transgendered, undocumented Arab immigrant felon with AIDS who doesn't share my politics and hadn't bathed in a month. God is reclaiming the whole world through love. You might have heard another gospel writer say it this way. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting zoe. Zoe. The real thing. Everlasting life. Spilling out over the sides. Abundant life. God wants relationship that leads to abundant life and wants that relationship to reach beyond the boundaries of Israel and in the person of Jesus. All boundaries are crossed. All cultures invited. The lawyer got the question right. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said love. The the lawyer wanted to get his answers right. Jesus wanted to get his heart right. And so Jesus told a story about compassion and mercy and kindness. And that your part in the love project, your path to living in the fullest way you possibly can is to go and do likewise. You all know the affection I have for the late preaching professor at Emory, uh, Fred Craddock. He told a great story about the time he got to meet the great Albert Schweitzer. He said, I think I was 20 years old when I read, that Al- I read Albert Schweitzer's Quest for the Historical Jesus. I found his Christology woefully lacking, more water than wine. I marked it up, wrote in the margins, raised questions of all kinds. And one day, one day I read in the Knoxville News Sentinel that Albert Schweitzer was going to be in Cleveland, Ohio, to play the dedicatory concert for a big organ in a big church up there. According to the article, he would remain afterward in the fellowship hall for conversation and refreshment. Stop the quoting a minute. Craddock bought a bus ticket, worked out all of his questions, writing everything down for the chance he would have some opportunity to corner the professor during the reception. I went there, he said. I heard the concert. I rushed into the fellowship hall, got a seat in the front row, waited with my lap of questions. After a while, he came in. Shaggy hair, big white mustache, stooped, 75 years old. 
You know, he was a master organist, medical doctor, philosopher, biblical scholar, lecturer, writer, everything. He came up with a cup of tea and some refreshments and stood in front of the group. And there I was, close. Dr. Schweitzer thanked everybody. You've been very warm, hospitable to me. I thank you for it. I wish I could stay longer among you, but I must go back to Africa. I must go back to Africa because my people are poor and diseased and hungry and dying, and I have to go. We have a medical station at Lamborghini. If there's anyone here in this room who has the love of Jesus, would you be prompted by that love to go with me and help me? Craddock said, I looked down at my questions. They were so absolutely stupid. And I learned again what it means to be a Christian and had hopes that I could be that someday. Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. The first step to life, real life, is relationship with Jesus Christ. And some of you may have never made that first step. And that invitation is open today. To say, I want to live that kind of abundant, eternal, forever, flowing over the sides kind of life. And the first step is to throw your life in with the life of Jesus. Others of you have done that and have other steps to make. Some of you may be ready to join this church and say, I'm going to throw in with these people, this group of Christ followers, and figure out how to do this Christianity and not just think about it. But everybody in the room has some next step to make to grow in the fullness of what it means to be a Christ follower who has called us to be kind. Would you stand and sing and respond? Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.